The following podcast is part of the Joy Road Media family. Enjoy. Welcome to Camp Creep, a podcast focusing on anthology horror, starting with Tales from the Crypt. Counselor Lauren Jewell. And I'm your least favorite camp counselor, Tish Delano. Beep, 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 beep. That was my attempt at air horns. <laughs> <laughs> what a week. Where would we like to begin? <laughs> I guess we could go off why it's been a rough week for you. My week has been questionable. On Sunday, I was driving to the Renaissance Festival, aka my other job, and halfway there, my check engine light not only turned on, but it was blinking. Mm. So I called my sister. Shout out to you, Megan. I don't think you listen to the podcast, but whatever. (laughs) I still love you. She was like, you need to not drive it. And I was like, that's not really an option at the moment. But she told me where to take it to. And then I had a whole plan. Mm -hmm. My friends Cal and Kat oh so kindly agreed to follow me home Sunday night after fair because they live nearby-ish. And they were just going to make sure I got home safe, right? Super cool. And then it got stuck in the mud instead. Classic. Right. New plan. They took me home and then they even oh so kindly picked me up that next day on Monday. So yesterday. Drove all the way back to fair. We got my car out. We got another friend's car out. And then after like an hour and 20 minutes of driving, because we had to go the back roads and I couldn't go very fast, we made it to the shop. My sister told me to take it to. And now we wait. And then I took you to work this morning. It's true. I needed an excuse to get out of bed. <laughs> hey, it worked out and I very much appreciate you. Hey, no problem. I appreciated the reason to get up. Uh, so I am in between jobs. I am. I left one job and I am waiting for the next job to start. I do have a job, but because they are creating a role for me, it's taking some time before we can get started, which is fine. I needed a break, but also I forgot what I'm like when I'm unemployed. <laughs> oh, I turn into a lump. And if I'm not careful, I will sleep all day and wake up at two and be like, oh shit, I need to make it look like I did something. Hopefully Steven doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> hey, Steven. I don't think he does. Just, just kidding. <laughs> I, d- I get up every day and I do stuff. It's just really hard, the temptation to just lay in bed. And if I lay in bed past like nine, I like I will blink and it will become 11. And I will have no idea what I did for two hours. Like stared at the ceiling, maybe thought about things that I can't remember. Who knows? So yeah, I'm just feeling very uh, tired in general, but I will say I did have a good day on Saturday. What'd you do on Saturday? I went to Lansing, which if you're not from Michigan, that is our capital. But I went to go visit our friend Tisha. She has a shop in Lansing called Thrift Witch. It's super fucking cool. This gl- You can't <laughs> see it. I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah. So I'm wearing a fuzzy leopard print sweatshirt that I got from Thrift Witch. This was what I wore in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, so of course I snatched it up. I also got some other cool stuff because Thrift Witch has vintage, really cool thrifted finds, kitschy stuff, art. There's other vendors. You, you, you can get everything. Very unique stuff. So we went there. I checked out a new shop that opened up in Lansing called Grave Danger. Yeah, and you said that they're like 
grand opening is this weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. We just happened to sh- like drive past it and it was their soft opening. So it was really cool. Brand new shop owned by a very nice couple. They have toys, vintage kitschy toys. They have VHS tapes and DVDs and they have a beautiful horror display. So mm. yes, yes. And they had the pink Ouija board. <laughs> <gasps> Did you get it? Uh, it's like $250. Oh, Apparently, God. it goes for even more on eBay. I want it really bad. So, so anybody has one that they don't want and they don't want to make the money off of it and you just want to send it to me, that's fine. I'll send you my address, complete stranger. Anywho. We'll, we'll get a P.O. box. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll invest. Uh, yes, I really want it, though. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I'm between jobs right now. I cannot justify that random purchase. But they had a lot of cool stuff. And then we went to Dead Time Stories. Which uh, is super cool cool too. Yes. Uh, it's a true crime themed bookstore. So it was just really fun day of just being out of my house. I miss Lansing. I miss yeah. everybody in Lansing. Yes. We have a lot of friends in Lansing and I miss our, our Lansing life. Yes. If you are not in the state of Michigan and you're looking for a reason to come to Michigan, not only is our food super good, but in Lansing, there is a show called The Dark Art of Michigan. They perform a lot at the Avenue Cafe in Lansing. Mm -hmm. It also has Ruckus Ramen. So if you are a fan of the noodles, (laughs) they got the hookup for you. Yes, yes. They're actually coming back with their first show next month. It's limited, you know, no seating, limited people allowed in, limited performers, etc. because of COVID. But I'm I'm very excited. It feels like a step towards normalcy, having the dark art come back. And it's a two-day thing this time. It's a two-day Halloween extravaganza. Yes, I am super psyched. Hope that I can make it out. Same. We might have to uh, have a really long night because we'll also be working at a haunted house situation in like a week and a half. Yeah. So if you are in the area, be sure to look up Panic Peculiar Experience. That's We're us. part of that. We are that. We are in that. So yeah. So it's just been exciting, but exhausting. E squared, indeed. Hey Tish. Hey Lauren. Anything on that bulletin board? Yeah. So on this week's bulletin board, we I have a note here that says to let the campers know that this episode is yet another incredibly dark episode that once again heavily features domestic violence, mostly of the verbal abuse variety, but yeah. I will say, at least this episode has more of a Tales from the Crypt feel to it. Yes. And it's very whimsical in comparison. Yeah, yeah. It has a little more, like, tongue-in-cheekness, a little more of the cheese factor that kind of lightens it up, but just kind of sucks that they put those two back-to-back. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's all I got on the bulletin board today. Perfect. In that case... Can I interest you in a creeperosity? Why, yes, I would love a creeperosity. All right. So yet again, I've gone down a weird-ass rabbit hole. Okie dokie. At some point in this episode, there is a mention of a necklace that is supposed to represent the Mayan god of truth. However, after searching the internet for at least 10 minutes, I could not find any god in specifics that is the god of truth in Mayan culture. Here are the contenders of which gods I 
think they're supposed to be talking about. Okay. So I would also like to say I got this information from worldhistory.org. And I did go to a few different websites to figure out how to pronounce them. So I do apologize in advance. If you know how to pronounce these names, please send us an email at campcreeppodcast at gmail.com. So, contender for god number the first. Achun Khan, a tulitary deity, he provided protection at sunrise and sunset. That's option one. Okay. Seems seems pretty good. Second option is Amun, who is a god of fertility and protection, who was also a personification of maize, like the corn. Huh. huh. Yeah. So that's your creeperosity. <laughs> I'm going to go with option three, that they just literally picked a random culture and picked a random, and we're like, we're just going to make something up. They're all dead. No one will know. <laughs> this is season two, episode six, The Thing from the Grave. And this is your synopsis. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is based off of the 22nd issue of the Tales from the Crypt comic. Life for model Stacy isn't always picture perfect. Her manager boyfriend is extremely controlling, and it's spiraling out of control. After meeting photographer Devlin, they take a shot at love, and we get to see how it develops. hey <laughs> Shenanigans ensue, and everybody gets what they deserve. So this episode opens on the Crypt Keeper having some private time? Yes, the Crypt Keeper yeah. is reading a magazine called Play Dead. A play on Playboy. And here's here's the thing. I really want to know which of our photographer friends we can convince that we have to recreate this because it's both of our aesthetics. And when the Crypt Keeper gets caught, he says, Oh, and I will argue this because on everything I watched this episode on, like on the DVD too, it says in the subtitles, Oh, uh-huh. no, no, no. The Crypt Keeper fucking said, Oh, and he understands big Ope energy. <laughs> and this is the new hill that I will officially die on. I support you on this hill. I love the amount of attention that was paid to creating this fake magazine. So good. It, it features the uh, ghouls of the Big Ten, because the girls of the Big Ten used to be a big Playboy feature. And up top, and I couldn't see it clearly, and I don't know if you could, at the top of Playboys used to be the names of like the celebrities that they interview or feature in the magazine and the only name I could make out was Shirley MacLaine. Who is Shirley MacLaine? Oh, oh. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. You're you're a baby. I understand. She's a very she's a very 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 famous actress. So Shirley MacLaine is most well known for Terms of Endearment, Steel Magnolias, oh. Two Mules for Sister Sarah which is my favorite Clint Eastwood movie. But also, Shirley MacLaine is big. She's very quirky. She's big into the whole past lives and psychic phenomenon. So I think she would totally be down to do an interview in Play Ghoul. Or Play Dead. Play Dead, yeah. I also thought it was Play Ghoul for the longest time. Like, they're both very good names. Yes, yes. But I love that he calls it a ghoulie magazine instead of a girly magazine. I dig it. I dig. Like a grave. So then we cut to the episode. We open on a very beautiful classic convertible driving down a dead-end road with a very nerdy-looking guy behind the wheel. So this guy is Devlin Cates. 
So Devlin pulls up to this cabin in the woods where there's a guy standing out front in a trench coat with his back turned. Not a red flag at all. This is fine. Everything's fine. So this guy that Devlin is meeting is Mitch Bruckner. Devin jumps out of the car and he's screaming, where is she? Is she all right? Bruckner says, yeah, she's fine. I can't say the same about you, buddy. And then he shoots him in the shoulder. Oh, is that the shoulder she used to cry on? Or was it the other one? And they shoot him in the other shoulder. Right. And the dude luckily has the adrenaline enough to run away. Unfortunately, he seems to run straight into a trap. So Devlin just happened to fall in front of a giant open grave that Bruckner has dug for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bruckner apologizes for not having a headstone made and just seamlessly segues from headstone to you know what what else was made out of stone. The Ten Commandments. hey So yeah, Brockner's like, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? You know, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And the guy retorts like a fucking badass. Right. What about thou shall not kill? Boom, bitch. But here's Here's the thing. So, excuse me, sir. That is not actually how the commandments go. (laughs) And the source is my brain after going to a Lutheran school from kindergarten until eighth grade where the commandments were a big fucking deal. The actual commandment is just thou shall not covet. So, you know... Does that include the wife? Yes. However, I feel like thou shalt not commit adultery makes way more sense in this situation. Yes. Thank you for coming to my <laughs> campfire talk. Also, a little bit of a problem with Bruckner's thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife little thing is uh, they're not married, as Devlin points out. True, true. Yeah. Also an issue there. So after Devlin's sassy little comeback, Bruckner says, fuck it. <laughs> And shoots Devlin over and over, knocking him into the open grave. And I have this really great quote here Uh from Bruckner, who has, like I said, just murdered a man. I want you to remember one thing before you go to hell, you miserable piece of shit. Remember that she's mine, not yours. Mine! And it mostly stuck out to me because I feel this way whenever people come over and Phoebe, my cat, starts, like, (laughs) loving on them. And I'm like, this is fine. That's fine. Yeah, she's just a very friendly cat. And then she just wants to, like, hang out with them and not me. I'm saving this quote for that exact moment the next time this happens. I will remember that because I've definitely bonded with Phoebe before. (laughs) Phoebe's a little bit of a hoe. It's fine. The next scene, we're at a tropical sunset. Just kidding. It's a photo shoot. This is where we see Stacy. And I just have a note that says, insert horny construction worker sounds. Woohoo! Ow! <laughs> yay, 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 yay! <laughs> Stacy is hot. Yeah, Stacy's really fucking pretty. Yeah, Stacy is a model and sh- with the, I've got, it says super 90s hot girl hair. Yes. Kelly Kapowski. Oh my god. Yes, she's got Kelly Kapowski hair, but even like a little more glam. For the record, I totally understood that reference. Yeah! (laughs) For those of you children's out there that did not understand the reference, Kelly Kapowski was on Saved by the Bell, and most, most people who were attracted to the female types who grew up in the early 90s were very into Kelly Kapowski. Yeah, I, I, I don't blame them. So we have this photographer that is cheering everybody on, and then when the camera finally pans up, would you look at that? 
It's the same dude that got shot just a few minutes ago. Yes, it's a very much alive Devlin. So we've we've jumped back in time, clearly. Now I'd like to point out what Stacy is wearing. So we just see him shooting just Stacy. So it looks like, you know, this must be like a, you know, a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue shoot or something. She is wearing a sexy version of like what would be like a dive suit, like a dive suit slash bathing suit combo. Think of like a Bond movie, very similar to something like that. She's holding a spear gun, like not sure what's going on, but okay, I support this creative decision. <laughs> yeah, and Devlin is mumbling to his assistant just how cheesy this entire setup is because then everybody else joins the shoot and it's more Bond looking girls and this guy in a suit who's holding a can of something. Yes, yeah, so apparently this is some sort of ad shoot. By the way, that model's name, which they never say in the episode, but they did give his character name. It is uh, Bo Hunk. Bo Hunk. Bo Hunk. He's big in Japan, according to Devlin. Yes, and there is a group of Japanese businessmen standing in the background who look so geeked to be there. Right. And they're so excited. So my definition of this Bo Hunk, is that what you said? Yes, that is his name, Bo Hunk. He reminds me if Duke Nukem were to join the FBI. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Devlin is attempting to, like, set the mood. He's clearly a good photographer, like a good director of photo shoots, because he tries to set the mood by telling a joke, by, you know, reminding everyone how much better it is to be on a set than be on some beautiful tropical beach getting all hot and sweaty. Ooh. And then Stacy, Stacy, our girl, she says, I don't know, sometimes I like getting all hot and sweaty. A damn Stacy. Stacy got game. Uh, yeah, she's trying to get a swerve on, and Bo Hunk V blocks her. <laughs> oh, Bo. Bo, 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 Bo. Bo wants to know, super important question, if he can hold the can in the other hand, because if he, he feels it would work better for his character, because it would make it easier for him to party, party down. down. Oh, boy. That is, that is all you need to know about Bo Hunk. And then enter Mitch Bruckner. Yeah, so the shoot itself is going pretty decently, but then you can see Stacy's face fall because yeah. standing behind Devlin is Bruckner. So he waltzes right into this shoot, like he owns the place. Then while Devlin is shooting, walks right up to Stacy, who, yeah, literally, she looks like she wants to crawl out of her skin. Mm-hmm. Don't blame her. But yeah, he just walks right up to her, middle shoot, and starts talking to her and whispering to her. Super unprofessional. This is just one of many really unprofessional things that he does. And you find out that he's her agent. So truly the most unprofessional modeling agent I've ever seen ever. I hear you have a list. I do of his incredibly unprofessional behavior. One, he interrupts her shoot just to go and harass Stacy. Then he tries to bait Devlin into openly shit-talking Bohunk while he's shooting him. Right fucking there. Like, he can hear you. Yeah, he's not being quiet. He's not whispering. Then he starts commenting loudly and just kind of grotesquely. Skeezy. Yeah, skeezy, very skeezy about how hot Stacy is. It's like, bro, bro, she's trying to work. Like, keep that thought to yourself, okay? Then, Bruckner tries to direct Stacy. He's like, turn this way. Turn three quarters. Shows your butt off better. And it's like, bro, not your job. Not your job. Not your shoot. You're not the photographer. You're not the art director. Like, gonna need you to take a step back, okay? So, Devlin here is trying to be so professional and so, so chill. But goddamn, this man. This 
Brockner fellow is a piece of fucking shit. So Devlin's like, oh, so like, who are you exactly? <laughs> and Brockner says, I'm Stacy's agent and also BT Dubs. I'm her fiance. And Devlin's, Devlin is trying to say super professional and calm. And he's like, hey, man, she really wants to do you proud. Uh, how about you go get yourself a coffee? Oof, if that was not the wrong thing to say to Brockner. Yeah, uh, Brockner reacts like a, a super very rational person mm-hmm. and proceeds to lose his shit. Ta- and he tells Devlin to lube up his camera lens so he can shove it up his own ass and take photos of the inside of his own asshole. Is Brockner secretly read from that 70s show? <laughs> Oh, that would be great. <laughs> um, we just want to make a note here to any uninsured campers. <laughs> Camp Creep does not support this as a valid alternative to getting regular colonoscopies. Okay, we just want to put that out there. So <laughs> Brockner storms the fuck out of there and Devlin is trying to keep everybody else calm. And he notices how awkward everything's gotten. And the yeah. Japanese businessmen are just standing there like, we don't know what's happening. Right. And Devlin's like, oh, I love that guy and this is the part I noticed tonight when I was watching it so the camera is showing the businessmen Mm -hmm. and they're just like yeah yeah okay but the one on the bottom left corner is just shaking his head like (laughs) no no this is not okay he's like this is some bullshit (laughs) so Devlin gives everyone a 10 minute break the right thing to do after something like that. So Devlin uses that downtime to counsel poor Stacy. And she is exhibiting the classic signs of someone who is in an abusive relationship. Making excuses, feeling ashamed as if, as if his behavior is her fault. And then Devlin goes all white knight. Yeah, he points out just how much of a ticking time bomb that Brockner is, Mm -hmm. which he is. He is correct there. But then he goes a step above Mm -hmm. and offers her the spare key to the studio so that she can escape anytime that she needs to. Because he has, quote unquote, a spare bed. Okay, listen, I have heard that before. (laughs) Every time a guy's like, oh, you can stay in my house, I got a spare bed. And then you show up and it's like, just kidding, I have my bed. Do you want to sleep in? this with me. (sighs) No. The couch is awfully comfortable, though. I'll just sleep on the floor. It's fine, I guess. Yeah, he pulls the classic quote-unquote nice guy move. Like, he was doing good, like, being a genuinely nice guy until it became clear that he was like, come on over to my place. You can stay in my spare bed. Also, I have TV. (laughs) Wink. That evening... He is in front of his TV, which is smaller than the one I had before this one was gifted to me. It's fucking like, I think the thing was only an eight inch screen. It looked very, very tiny. And he's asleep sitting in a chair. I don't even see a bed. I don't know where the fuck he's hiding in, let alone a spare. And you can hear the front door jingling. Somebody is opening it and it's Stacy. Yes. So she shows up. They both declare that they're being awfully forward. Cheesy early 90s romantic music starts to swell. I do really like how they met halfway, though, and, like, the backdrop turned on. It was super fucking cheesy romance. Yes, it was shot really well. And then they kiss, and so you see their first makeout session from this, like, beautiful artsy-fartsy kind of shot. And then he gives her a gift. 
He gives her a necklace called the Mayan God of Truth and says that if you make a promise to someone while holding it, they have to keep that promise no matter what. But also, you left out the most important part that literally has no importance for the rest of the episode. An old blind lady, and that oh, is a yes. direct quote, an old blind lady gave this to him. Wh- what? Yeah, I wonder if there was supposed to be, like, what? more to this. I don't know, because, like, this, like... When he, the whole monologue where he gives her this necklace and explains it is literally the worst dialogue I've ever heard. It's so clunky. It's as clunky as that necklace. Hey, (laughs) oh. Also, like, they literally, like, this is the same day. He's still wearing the same clothes from the shoot. So he literally just met her however many hours ago and they're making out and he's giving her a necklace. Like, what? What is happening? Yeah, I almost wonder, like, maybe they've actually met each other before a few times on different projects, but this was the first time that, like, Brockner showed up. I don't know, because, like, they did not seem to know each other. Like, I I, I feel like we got work with the context we're given and, like, true, nope, he's true, just true, trying true, to mack on a complete vulnerable stranger. So, Stacy accepts the necklace and Devlin puts it on her. He, and as he's adjusting it, he shifts her shirt and you can see a bruise on her clavicle. And when she realizes that he's seen the bruise, she runs away and she declares it's over with Bruckner. It's all over. And she only stayed with him for so long because she felt that she owed him something. And frankly, she's scared to break it off with him because he's a ab- controlling, abusive D-bag. That was my, <laughs> I added in that flourish. Uh, <laughs> she just said she's scared of him. But I mean, that's valid. Like, that dude is scary. Yeah, he is unpleasant. Yes. And obviously, he's gotten physical just because you don't see it on camera. We have now have proof that he's gotten physical with her. So after they have a heart-to-heart moment, before they start making out... Devlin is holding onto the necklace, onto the charm portion, and he makes her a promise that he will protect her no matter what. And then they start making out and the screen gets kind of funky because, oh, look, Brockner is videotaping them from across the fucking street. Yeah, because of course he is. Of course he is. Of course he's following her because that's what this kind of abusive dickhole does. Cut to a later date and Devlin is coming in from getting groceries. He's got a grocery bag. The phone's ringing. He runs, picks it up, but the answering machine is just picked up. Which is very important for this later. This is important, and for you babies, we will explain why this is so important <laughs> later. Because you have no idea what an answering machine is, and we get that. <laughs> but it is Bruckner, and he says he knows everything, and that he and Stacy had a fight, and she went after their cabin, and he feels like, sh- you know, she's in trouble, but she doesn't want to see him. So he asks if Devlin will go out there to consider Console her to make sure she's okay. Yes. And then the next part is the beginning scene, but super sped up and cut together. And that's how we know that our boy Devlin here is dead and buried. Yes, he's one dead white knight. Just took the bait hook, line, and sinker. He really mastered that bait. Oh, <laughs> god damn it. it oh, god damn it. That, that took me too long to put that together. <laughs> we cut to Stacy's apartment, and the first thing you see aside from the very beautiful Stacy is that she has a giant photo of her face blown up on her wall, and around it is a giant blinking, glowing, neon pink heart. I don't think that's Stacy's choice. I think that's all <laughs> Brockner because 
I I am sure she thinks she is attractive because, yes, she is. Oh, my God. Stunning. Yes. But I don't think her character is vain enough right. to do that. I mean, listen, no shade. If I were as hot as her, let me tell you, my face would be pl- like my face would be my wallpaper in my home. Be um, like, look at how beautiful I am, <laughs> ma'am, ma'am. Yes, yes. Have you seen yourself? Because you should do that. Oh, thanks. I did finally frame a photo of myself, one of my Yay! modeling photos. I'm very proud of myself. So Stacy is on the phone, and she looks super fucking worried, trying to figure out where. Devlin is. And Bruckner catches her in a lie because I kind of want to give him points for creativity, but I also fully acknowledge that he is indeed a super shitty person. Yes. But the way he catches her is making a comment like, oh, I know you two are together. You said you were out with your girlfriends the other night. And she says, were you following me? And he's like, nope. I was just testing you or whatever. And I was like, ooh. Yeah, that's a classic. That's a classic way to catch somebody in a lie. Good one. (laughs) Yes. And we find out that Stacy has been trying to call Devlin for six days. Now, remember, we didn't have the term ghosting in the 90s. So we didn't really have a word for it when somebody just dropped off the face of the planet and stop returning your calls. We also didn't have cell phones or social media. So literally all you could do was call their house phone over and And over (laughs) and hope they didn't have caller ID. (laughs) Star 69. Oh man, nothing was worse than like calling a guy like a million times and then him being like, so why did you call me 20 times? And you're like, oh, um, that wasn't me. That was my mom. Mm -hmm, That was my mom. Not me. I'm not intense like that. I don't like you that much. Oh my god, Bruckner. This scene is so manipulator one-on-one. He turns himself into the victim because he's such a fuck-up. Oh, he just... Oh, he knows he did wrong and Stacy just deserves so much better. Wah, wah, wah. Punch this guy into the sun. But, oh, he loves her so much and he really thinks that she needs to consider giving them a second chance, which is probably more like a tenth chance. Right. Just a guess. He starts suggesting that Devlin maybe just used her and moved on to another model. I mean, he's a photographer after all. They're all just eight by tens to him. Barf. Gross. But Stacy ain't no fool. No, Stacy is trying very hard to defend Devlin, thinking something happened, and gosh, is she right? And eventually, Brockner agrees that he will let her go. Whatever the fuck that means. That would be a lie. So Brockner then puts his hand on her shoulder and leans in to kiss her. Ugh. But you can see her flinching, and it was such a small, like, mm. micro moment that I'm like, mm. God, I know we're gonna cover this and who's that goal, but I fucking love Terry. Yeah, she's a great actress. So next we cut to Detective Stacy at Devlin's <laughs> studio. Seriously, I was like, I am so proud of Stacy right now. Like, this character is not a dumb model. She has the key to Devlin's studio. So she goes there to investigate. It is very clear that he left abruptly. Oh yeah, the grocery bag is still sitting on the table with the phone and the answer machine, and I am sure something is rotted in there. Yeah, you. I heard her pick something up and it's like dripping and Ugh. gross. So it's clear that that has been sitting there for days. And then Stacy notices there's a message on the answering machine. And she clicks play. Yes. So here's the deal. If you didn't grow up with an answering <laughs> machine, we're going to just educate you for a minute. If 
you picked up the phone while somebody was leaving a message. Sometimes, like, more advanced machines would cut off the recording, but not always, and the lesser advanced machines would just literally record your call. Mm-hmm. And these were actually, this is old enough that I think that was on an actual tape. The last, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, the last answering machine I had was a digital one, but yeah, up until then, they were like little, little tiny cassette tapes that recorded on. I do remember that. We had one before we moved from our first house in Flint to the second house in Flint. And I remember being very confused when it was all digital, 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 digital. <laughs> digital. So unfortunately for Stacy, Brockner is also in the studio. Yes. So he sneaks up behind her, he grabs her, and uh, he essentially kidnaps her. Yeah, it's a real bad time for the next like five minutes left yeah. of this episode. Really sucks. Yes, we cut back to that cabin that we saw earlier, and poor Stacy is bound and gagged in bed, tied to the bed, wearing some lingerie, and Bruckner is just making my skin crawl. Mm-hmm. Even just remembering, I, I don't remember specifics of what he said, but it's the implication of what he said. Oh, let me help you there, friend. Okay, thank you. I got you. Yeah. So Bruckner is sitting on the edge of the bed, and he is being super fucking gross. Mm-hmm. He is making comments, and while he is making these comments, he first pulls out his gun. Yes. Loads it. He's saying things like, just because you found this out doesn't mean we can't have fun. Ugh. And when he says that, he pulls out a whip. Ah. Yeah. There ah. was like a bull whip involved. Like, nope. okay. No. So basically, he's going to assault her. Yup. Murder her. And then you know what? This dude's enough of a creep. He's probably going to assault her again. Very deeply upsetting. <laughs> So he rips off tape that's over her mouth and he makes more gross comments and she starts screaming. But what's this? (gasps) Stacy's calls for help has reached six feet under. You really gotta hand it to Devlin. Hey, oh, cause Devlin's hand shoots up out of the grave. Her boyfriend's back and you're gonna be in trouble. Hey, nah, hey, nah, her boyfriend's back. (laughs) That's right. Devlin is back. Bound by his promise, he is coming back from the dead to protect her. Brockner confesses to Stacy that he's killed and buried her Romeo in the backyard. And of course, the girl is super upset. Even more so than what she already was. Right. And, you know, Brockner, being a very smart man, hears something from outside, grabs his gun, and goes to investigate the strange noise. Yes, good, excellent. So Bruckner is outside investigating, and who could it be now? Zombie Devlin! And boy, do they have a battle royale, because when you are bound by a promised from a Mayan god, guns apparently are ineffective against you as a zombie. Well, right. But also, was Brockner even aiming for his head? Do people in horror movies understand the concept of aiming for the head? That's a point of contention with me in modern horror. But, you know, that's that's a that's a rant for a whole other day. <laughs> we digress, <laughs> So, yep, they battle it out, and shocker, zombie Devlin wins. And the first thing he does, oh, I enjoyed this. He picks up a shovel, and he cuts off Bruckner's fingers. Well deserved, well deserved. Bravo, sir, bravo. I also love that Bruckner falls into the very same pit that Devlin just got himself out of. Yes. 
and Devlin crawls back inside and starts to bury Bruckner alive. And then Stacy manages to free herself from the bed and runs outside just in time to see all of this going down. And that's... Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, the episode just ends with zombie Devlin and Bruckner buried alive and Stacy free. And yep, we're back at the crypt. That's... We are back at the crypt. I want to know what else happens. Right. And the crypt keeper is still reading his ghoulie mag. I will say I was very disappointed that there were no masturbation puns. Because listen, this was on HBO. They like, could have. They could have. They've had boobs. They've had man butt. Like they totally could have made some masturbation jokes. For God's sakes, the last episode was so violent. violent. Like, come on, you, you could show that level of violence against a woman, but you can't tell a masturbation joke? Come on. Come on. You can't yeah, owe us now, HBO and Tales from the Crypt yes. community. Yeah, owe us. Right. Not that I'm saying I want the visual of the Crypt Keeper whacking off in Oof. my head, and now that, yep, that thought is forming. Well, that's let upsetting. Me, let me ruin it more for you, because yep. Rule 32. Oh, God! Oh. <laughs> I want uh, it. I want it in my life. Somebody make it happen uh, for Jesus, me. Oh, Jesus, please don't. Like, or just send it to her, not me. No. <laughs> you have my full blessing. To slide into my DMs on Instagram, you can find me there at Lauren Jewel underscore, but only for fan art of the Crypt Keeper. I guess she wants fan art of the Crypt Keeper jerking off. So there you you have your mission, oh, campers. I'll accept any fan art. Okay. <laughs> I specifically only want Crypt Keeper feet fan art. I, I want to make a collage on my wall. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anywho. Wow, that <laughs> went off it. the rails real quick. <laughs> That is my best friend, Jenny, over there on that side of the table. Hi, that's my lifelong best friend, Taylor. Are you into ghosts, aliens, or murder? If you are, you are among friends because we love talking about terrible things, too. It's why we started our podcast, A Little Bit Grim, where we would talk about the paranormal, true crime, folklore, conspiracies, cults, disasters, and every other heinous thing that could happen to a person. It's a little bit spooky with a little bit of comedy mixed in. Honestly, it's all just a little bit grim. And you can find us wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And you can find us on all social media platforms by searching for A Little Bit Grim. We'll see you there. Goodbye! It's time for everybody's favorite segment, Who's That Ghoul? Yeah! So today's episode was written and directed by Fred Decker. He's best known for writing the horror classic, Night of the Creeps. One of my favorite movies from the 80s, The Monster Squad. <gasps> Wolfman's got nards! Come on! Like, <laughs> ugh. If you haven't seen it, watch it. I know I say that every week about something, but seriously, you have your assignment. Watch The Monster Squad. It's so good. And he also wrote and directed RoboCop 3. Oh. He didn't have a terribly long or impressive IMDb, but he did have one super fun acting credit... Oh shit, what is it? All right, he played Little Boy in Ape Mask at convention, uncredited, in Nightmare in Blood. What's that? I don't okay. know. I don't know. I was like, huh. 
I thought you were going okay. to say Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was like, I don't remember any right, kid in an eight right. mask in this series. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting to me that he wrote Monster Squad and directed it, and the di- like, I guess the dialogue was a little clunky at times and that, but they were kid actors, so I think I let it slide. Boy, his writing was not as good in this episode. Hmm. My apologies to Fred Decker if you're listening. I look forward to reviewing future episodes that you have also written and or directed of Tales from the Crypt. Huzzah! And then we have Devlin Cates, who you were crushing on. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. He's I have a type. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. He reminded me of the human version of the dude from the Atlantis movie. Oh, Milo. Yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of Milo and Milo is... Yeah. So, Devlin Cates is played by Kyle Secor. He kicked off his acting career in 1986 as Brian Bradford on the soap Santa Barbara and then moved on to another successful 80s show, the medical drama Saint Elsewhere. After that, he did some movies like, I don't know, a little gem called Sleeping with the Enemy, (gasps) starring Miss Julia Roberts. I remember that one. Yeah, it was a scary movie. He was also in City Slickers, and then back to TV with recurring roles on Party of Five, Grey's Anatomy, The Flash, and Veronica Mars. And I had to look it up because I was like, I don't remember him from Veronica Mars, but to be fair, I only watched the first season and the first episode of the second season. But he was her boyfriend-ish's dad. Oh. So if that means anything to you guys, there you go. I stopped watching in the second season because she got back together with that boyfriend and I didn't like him, so I just stopped watching <laughs> the show. <laughs> I also think Kyle comes back in two more episodes. Yes. Yes, he is in, it was like a weird, like a, they're both small roles, but he does come back in future episodes. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Next, we have Mitch Bruckner, played by Miguel Ferrer. He played Morton in the OG RoboCop. FBI agent Albert Rosenfield in the OG and renewed Twin Peaks series and the movie Fire Walk With Me. He played Lloyd Henry in a little-known 1994 miniseries called, oh, I don't know, The Stand. (gasps) Yes, I know, you're very, yes, yes. Yes, I know you watch that a lot. (laughs) I do. I I have, okay, quick tangent, but I have a lot of feelings when it comes to the Stephen King movies and miniseries. Mm Mm-hmm. More importantly, so the stand was good. I have not seen the new stand. Yeah. But the miniseries was great as far as I can tell. Mostly, I think, on par with the book. Now, the miniseries, the movie that pisses me off the most uh-huh. is The Shining. Oh. Fuck you, Kubrick. You book destroyed that movie. <laughs> I will die on this hill. Come for me. You feel free to cancel me over this one. The book is better. I said it. The Shining, the book is better. Shining. <laughs> the Shining miniseries, perfection, chef's kiss. Yep. It's so fucking good, but the fucking movie. Yeah. No, we're going to set yep. it on fire. Right. Agreed. And so, we're back. And we're back. <laughs> also, which will tie into our next star, Mr. Miguel Ferrer went on to star on Desperate Housewives hmm. as Andre Zeller. And I have a fun note that he was also the voice of death on Adventure Time. Oh, Yeah. Sadly. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have put death as the last one because sadly my next note is that he died. <laughs> 
Yes, I'm a professional, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> as if you can't tell. So sorry. Uh, he died January 19th, 2017 at the oh. age of 61. So very sad. He had a very successful career, though. He, he had a one, he had a really great career. Lots of, he worked a lot and obviously had some very iconic roles. And then we have the beautiful Stacy. Oh. Played by Terry Frickin' Hatcher. I have never found Terry Hatcher. I like, I was like, oh, I mean, she's objective. I was like, oh, yeah, she's pretty, but I never thought Terry Hatcher was hot. And then I saw her in this, and I was like, sweet mother of God. Hubba, hubba, hubba. Stunning. Yeah, I turned into like a cartoon wolf. I was like, ow! Like, holy <laughs> cow, she's so beautiful. So, Terry Hatcher, in case you somehow don't know who Terry Hatcher is, she got her start on an 80s classic, The Love Boat. Yes. After The Love Boat, she had a recurring role on MacGyver and then a series of one-off parts in a ton of TV shows and small parts in movies. And then the star power kicked in because then she was cast as Lois Lane in Lois and Clark with Dean Cain. Um, I didn't watch it, but when I was growing up, a bun of, bunch of my friends' parents were like super into Lois and Clark. I know it was a very popular show. And I believe she went on to play a one-off role as one of Lois Lane's relatives in huh. Smallville. So nice little callback. Then she also went on to play Susan Mayer on Desperate Housewives for its obnoxiously long run. <laughs> And I believe you have another credit that you wanted to point out. I do, because she's one of my favorite voice actresses. She plays mother slash other mother in Coraline. So good. So fucking good. So good. good. To the point where, like, the first two times I watched Coraline, I didn't even realize it was Terry Hatcher. Like, I finally, like, I saw, like, happened to be looking at the credits, I was like, shut up. And I was like, oh, okay, I can hear it now. I was like, but. Yeah, she does a phenomenal job, especially as other mother. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that voice, like, sends chills down my spine. It makes me so happy. Yes. But I remember watching this episode, like, as an adult, realizing, like, oh, I've seen Terry Hatcher in a bunch of things. Oh, my God, that's the other mother. Yes. Oh, my God, that was her in, like, the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- th- this was I think uh, in the 90s 1990. Yes. I think this was, like, 1990. So, yeah, this was before she became really big. Final credit, because I had to, Bo Hunk. Oh. <laughs> yes. Is played by Laird McIntosh. Tales from the Crypt, this episode, was only his third ever acting credit. And I think he started like 1987. So he did like something in 1987, like something in 1989, and then this episode. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to have a series of one-off guest roles in a ton of TV shows. Like, he worked pretty consistently, including he was a regular guest actor on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Tosh 2.0, and Jimmy oh. Come Alive. You know, they have the little skits and the late yeah. night shows. Yeah, so he was, like, one of their regular actors. Like, he was in a ton of episodes on all three of those. But he finally landed a major role on a TV show when he landed the role of Christopher on the show The Mick in 2017, which I don't think it lasted very long, sadly. I think it may have made it two seasons. So yeah, those were our ghouls for this episode. So Camp Counselor Tish. Yes, Camp Counselor Lauren. What you think about this episode? I give it one severed thumb up. I thought the dialogue, like it was just not very well written. And I feel like some of the weaknesses might also have been like the editing on it. I feel like stuff definitely got edited out mm-hmm. for time. It was it was a really short and quick episode compared to previous ones. So I'm very curious about like if 
why stuff got cut out. But I give it a thumb up because I did not mind staring at Terry Hatcher. I mean, to be like, listen, listen, she was really hot in this episode. And it was uh, going back to more of the Tales from the Crypt tongue-in-cheek kind of horror versus the previous episode. What do you think about this episode? So I'm giving this one a severed thumb and three quarters up. Oh. So the reason for this is because... I liked the episode. I liked how we didn't get to see any of the abuse except for the verbal things. And we saw the bruise, but we didn't like witness it. However, the reason it's going to get a portion down is because this is a Tales from the Crypt Universe episode, I did not think it was necessary to do the whole, this necklace from an old blind woman is a... Mayan god of truth. No, we could have just had this been a Tales from the Crypt episode where you love this woman so much that you just come back to protect her. Yeah, that was unnecessary. It was unnecessarily and it was just so poorly that chunk of dialogue was so poorly executed and it was, like I said, was was the old blind woman? Did the in one of the cut scenes, like, does the old blind woman show up at some point? Like, what is, why was that in there? I'm so confused. Well, then my secondary idea is I wonder if the reason that that first half is cut that way is I wonder if they changed their minds about that route halfway through, but then they realized, oh, they have all these shots of Terry Hatcher wearing this random necklace that they're like, we have to explain this. Yeah, it's just really, he could, like, I would have accepted if he said my mom gave me this or my grandmother or something. Mm-hmm. Granted, then I guess they couldn't have said it was a Mayan thing because he was very white. But yeah, that's my rating. You stand by it. Mm-hmm. So campers. That was our episode, campers. Did you like it, campers? We're waiting for your answer. Do, do, <sighs> You're do, gonna need to scream louder, I can't hear you. Do. We're going to pretend that you love that episode so much that you're going to jump on Apple Podcasts and you're going to leave us a five-star rating and a love-filled review. Yes. Please. Pretty please. And if you want to support us in other ways, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on one of our many social media accounts. On Instagram, The Book of Faces, and The Talking of the Tick, aka TikTok. You can find us at Camp Creep Podcast. And on Twitter, we are Camp Creep Pod. Thank you to Steve O'Dockerson for our fantastical theme music. We love you, Steve O. So much. And as always, campers, creep, creep it real. real.